Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Unscripted Equity Curiosity. My name is Ami Joseph, and I'm the sector head for technology here at Edge. With me today, we've got Andrew Friedman, the sector head for communications, internet, and media. And we have the sector head for China, Felix Wang, also with us today. And Unscripted Equity Curiosity is a free Hedge podcast. This is where Andrew and Felix and I get together and shoot the breeze and discuss different things happening thematically, sometimes single stock, sometimes macro. And often enough, we have a guest, sometimes from Hedge sometimes from outside Hedge Eye, um, that we've had over the last uh two and a half seasons. We're two and a half seasons in, so this is season three, episode 14. And today we're in the midst of earnings. So today is uh, a Thursday and you guys are all going to get this on Saturday. So apologize for the delay, but we're in the midst of earnings and um, we're kicking back ideas about reading the tea leaves in terms of business economics, leading and lagging. Andrew has had some interesting things to say about the ad market on the morning call and indicators there in terms of strengthening. So we're going to talk about pace with Andrew. Um, Felix is in an alternate universe where the Fed for Felix is going the opposite direction of our Fed is easing and where stocks are at lows uh, or near lows, near like all time lows. <laughs> um, so uh, so let's get in. And I obviously have lots to share about software as well. Um, so let's get after it. I guess we're going to, Andrew, we're going to start with you because you made some comments this morning that got my brain moving. Um, and there was a period where ads got overbought and then there was a pullback and ads got underbought. And it seems now that ads are getting bought again. Um, and I guess my question is, do you think this is the beginning of a new cycle or just a few easy comps and then you got to watch out and run the other way? Um, how does it make you think about the advertising market? And and do you, a long time ago, you and I talked about, all three of us talked about changing the ad market where, you know, the legacy TV, radio, et cetera, print were all on their way out and getting disrupted by digital. Is that share gain still happening in the digital area against those, or is that kind of like stabilized out and it's just growing now kind of like with overall growth of the industry? Kind of like a lot of, there's a big meatball of questions in there, but kind of take it however direction you want to take it. Yeah. Um, no, thanks, Ami. Uh, look, I, I think as far as the ad market goes, there's so many different components. Um, so maybe first focusing on kind of the digital advertising landscape, you know, Meta Google dominate that. They have, uh, you know, well over 90% market share uh, between the two of them. And, you know, it's it's interesting, right? Because I get this question, I always get asked the question of like, you know, how does digital advertising kind of line up with the overall economy and demand drivers? And, you know, I think it's important to put, you know, everything that's happened after COVID <laughs> kind of, in its own bucket versus everything pre-COVID because these stocks are very rate of change based and budgets and advertising spend is inherently, you know, reflexive or pro-cyclical or however you want to describe it, right? Um, and it's all about demand, especially for direct response, which is, you know, I'm spending a dollar on Meta or Google um, and trying to get two or three dollars in return. 
And so you know, we spent last year slowing rapidly, more so than than I think anyone had expected for sure. Even though we were bearish, I, I would definitely you know go as far as say that estimates ultimately came in a lot more than I had anticipated. Um, but when you're going through that slowing process, the first thing that brands do is they cut spend, right? They um, it's for di- digital advertising especially because it's easy to turn off. You know, it's not contractual. You just basically tap your performance marketer on the shoulder and say, "Hey, we need to cut by X Y Z percent." Um, and that's what happened last year. And almost all the time, uh, ad budgets get overdone and they get cut too much, right? They get ratcheted up um, too high, uh, they overshoot and they undershoot. And so when you're going through that reflexive process of budget reductions last year, by the time we got to the end of last year, we saw um, budgets just absolutely get wiped out. People are cutting experimental budgets. They're cutting anything discretionary. And what that what does that mean? That means that they're cutting too much beyond whatever the natural rate or of demand is. Um, and so going into this year, what we've seen is that demand trends stable, stabilized. They haven't gotten incredibly, um, you know, they haven't re-accelerated uh, massively. But when you think about demand trends, when I say demand trends, I mean like e-commerce revenue is like probably the biggest or direct-to-consumer revenue is probably the biggest, most important uh, factor to watch for digital ads. Um, you know, it kind of bottomed out in the middle of last year um, and it slowly started to get better and budgets continue to get cut over that period. And so we're in this period of time going to this year where um, things have not deteriorated meaningfully relative to that point in time. And as a result, companies are starting to invest a little bit more, right? So, you know, you can't cut below zero. Um, but let's say you were at you know 150% before, then you cut all the way to 25%. Maybe now you're saying, okay, everything's better or stabilizing. We're going to go from 25% back to 50%, right? And that process of going from 25 to 50% after you've gone from 150% to 25% is your positive revision cycle and it's your rate of change inflection. Of course, right? Um, the demand trends need to continue, right? Um, we can get back up to 75%, but eventually if you're going to get back up to 100%, meaning your one-to-one ratio of demand, then at some point you're going to need to see end market trends continue to accelerate in order to for people to really start to pour money back in um, and see the growth sustain itself. So that's the market we've been in for the most of 23 uh, has been this ad recovery and digital takes market share in that um, uh, direct response is the first to recover being you know meta uh, and Google brand advertising um, can lag oh, brand advertising typically lags direct response um, so you know for like a Roku that's going to report earnings after the close you know, while the comps are really easy, you know, they're not going to be seeing as much strength, right, as a meta or Google is at the moment. Um, but they should be doing better because of the comps and they should be taking market share. So, because um, CTV is also digital. So I, that's kind of at a very high level, you know, what's going on right now is that uh, things are improving and then we, we're, we just need to see trends continue to move in a certain direction. 
um, for it to sustain. But like I have data that looks really positive, right? That suggests that we're getting kind of very far into this recovery phase. And um, so we'll see, we'll see how it, how it, um, how it continues to play out. Felix. You got hey, yeah. Hey, hey, Andrew, that was, that's really helpful. I, I'm just curious, just from my uh, own space, sort of in Asia, did, did Meta or Google mention um, sort of advertising trends in Asia Pacific? Uh, I'm just curious. If they yeah, did. so everything's accelerating. What's been really fascinating, especially for Meta, has been uh, Timu. Um, and a lot of these Chinese-based e-commerce platforms that are trying to grow outside China. And so with China reopening, they've come online and they're spending, they're basically doing the TikTok playbook, but e-commerce, it's really interesting, right? Because you know how, you know, during the pandemic, um, you know, part of the reason why TikTok scaled so aggressively was they spent a ton of money on, you know, on Facebook, Instagram, Snapchat advertising. Um, now what we're seeing is that like Timu, um, and was it Sheen? Shine? I'm not pronouncing that correctly. Um, oh, Sheen. Yeah. Sheen. Yeah. Um, they are also spending. So you have these platform and platforms that are um, advertising very aggressively on Meta, and it's been a big boost to their revenue growth rate this year. Um, now. We'll have to see if it's how sustainable that is. A lot of it is a market fu- a function of just the you know the marketplace was um you know the market was uh, what have you uh, shut down right. So it's not like that money is going to go away next year, but it is something that they called out as being a positive driver um, to their growth rate this year. Hi, Robert McGordy here, director of subscriber development at Hedgeye. Hope you're enjoying our podcast. Start generating alpha with our suite of Sector Pro investing research products. Dive deep into retail, industrials, technology, and everything in between with exclusive access to the sharpest analysts and actionable ideas on Wall Street. Go to hedgeye.com forward slash research to subscribe. Enjoy the rest of this episode. That's really interesting that Meta would mention Timu. Um, well, they didn't mention it. They didn't mention it specifically. They didn't. Okay. Right? Like, they... So... Everyone thinks it's Timu because, like, you know, they're specific. They're saying that it's, um, they're saying that it's, um, you know, uh, China-based e-commerce companies that are primarily targeting consumers outside of China, right? So, like, you can probably like go down the list of companies, and then if you actually look at like some of the ad impression data, um you'll notice that Timu has popped up this year as like a really, as like one of the number one um, ads that have been trending across the entire platform. Um, And then you kind of list, you know, from the conversations with the performance marketers are definitely seeing and hearing, you know, especially in the younger demographic, uh, teens and, you know, uh, young Gen Z that, um, you know, Sheehan and Timu are definitely starting to, you know, make some inroads. Um, so that's, um, I don't know if that's helpful, but that's, that's kind of what we're seeing or I'm seeing. No, that's, that's, that's super helpful because I'm seeing something similar. I just wasn't sure if U.S. companies have mentioned this, uh, sort of ad. It's not really, uh, well, it is, it, it's basically an ad advertising battle, uh, between Sheehan, 
um, Timu and then Alibaba through AliExpress and Lazada, they also want to get involved, and as well as TikTok, obviously. Uh, so it's interesting to see the dynamics there between all these big players, um, some more new disruptors, some more you know, old disruptors like TikTok, all trying to get as much mining share from the consumer as possible. And that includes the uh that includes the US market. So um yeah, that that really dives for what I'm seeing as well. So I appreciate that comment. Oh so Andrew, it's the end of July. You've got strong data and you know we're we're in the third quarter. Um what do you think happens next? Do you think we Continue from 50 to 75 to 100 to 125, like a normal cycle over the next, what do you think that is, like three years, three quarters? What's the, I mean, right now, if being, if we if we stay on this trajectory, right, big if, but based off of everything where we are today, um, it's going to be probably over the next, like, 12 to 18 months. Like, we... Um, if demand trends continue to hold up through Q4, then budgets are going uh, that are already kind of out there are going to be set for next year. That's going to start to see money filter in through the rest of the advertising ecosystem, right? So that's like Roku, um, that's you know Pinterest, eventually Snapchat, um, <clears throat> uh, maybe, but. Uh, you know, that's kind of the play, right? And then you'll start to see independent publishers start to continue to take market share um, back. Uh, money start to really filter through everywhere else. And that would be actually more of a sign of probably the end of it, <laughs> you know, like, um, but um, yeah, I think that's that's kind of, I mean, the comps next year are just, especially in the first half, um, are really, really easy for a lot of these more traditional media cyclicals. Um, and even for like, you know, the more experimental speculative pockets of the ad market, um, you know, they get more, they get more difficult, even for Google, um, and Q1 specifically, but meta generally, you know, it starts to see more difficult comparisons. So, you know, there's going to be continue to be divergences underneath the hood, you know, things are not great, but they're not getting worse. And they're getting better and that's typically positive for you know multiples and stock prices you know after where estimates have been um but uh we'll see we'll see what happens yeah it's interesting um it's uh if if we do this six quarter thing through to the hundred plus percent zone um yeah, it definitely means we're in a like normal widening beginning of a cycle type of situation. I mean, look, like Meta and Google, like, <laughs> you know, for as bearish as we were last year on digital advertising and media segment, it hurt how bearish we were. Um, and <clears throat> where things were trending last year were really bad for, for 2024 three estimates which is why coming into the year meta 2023 earnings numbers were eight dollars right they're gonna do almost double that so 
the thing is that I, I, I'm going to continue to track it. But the reality is that nobody has any fucking idea. It's a part, you know, to, just to be very frank. Like anyone that's sitting there that says that they think they know with confidence is lying to you. Like they don't, you know, and, and you just have, because the companies don't know, right? Meta didn't know that they were going to put up and guide to a 20% revenue growth quarter in Q3 30, 60 days ago, right? And so- I think you just have to take it every single, you know, step, day by day because the it's a like it these decisions get made um, incrementally, right? Oh, guess what? We had a better quarter than expected. Okay, that's great. Things look better for Q3. We have more budget. Okay, well, we don't want to spend it just yet. We're still nervous. Wow, sixty days later, things are still okay. Well, now we're going to Q4. Demand looks like it's holding in there. Let's maybe start spending more money on advertising. You know, that's that's how that works. You know, that like and 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 that's that's a very simple example, but that's how it happens at like an, on a macro basis for ad, advertising decision making. You know, CPG companies are coming back online. They're spending more money um, because guess what? Like Procter and Gamble beat earnings. You know, their stock prices out after they've had supply chain issues. So now they're going back into investment mode because they're worried that they don't want they don't want to take price again and they they have to drive volume growth. So it's all kind of it all builds on each other and it's just you just have to watch it. I mean it's because uh, it can turn very violently very quickly as we've seen. Um, but yeah, I mean if, if I mean we were bullish on Meta since the beginning of the year, but if you told me that they were going to do you know fifteen dollars in earnings this year, I would have laughed at you. Right, but like, but as the data continued to get better, and we were just tracking and tracking and tracking, that's just kind of what happened. Um, you know, Google too. So, um, you know, both those companies, Ami, like, though they're gonna, and I mentioned this on the call this morning, like, they're pacing, especially after the cost cuts, too, right? So, like, their expense structures are radically more efficient and lower. And so you, so now you're like looking at these companies and you're like, yeah, like revenue growth is accelerating and oh, by the way, on a lower OPEX means that they're going to get back to like 2021 levels of earnings probably this year, actually exceed that, right? Which, you know, stock prices typically follow earnings, the earnings trajectory. So, you know, why can't, Meta and Google stock prices hit all-time highs, you know, especially if this continues into 2024 and they manage their expense structure appropriately, you know, because then people start underwriting 24 into 25 into 26. 25 or 24 could be a disaster, you know, like it totally could. Um, but it, it's but like but it all that matters is like the current right and how you're pacing and and relative to historical trends and so far it's been pretty positive so you know it's uh ruthlessly data dependent ruthlessly mentally flexible like just i don't know anything right all i know is what the data and the process is telling me and I'm just going to listen to that and make decisions accordingly. And that's kind of how I've been approaching the ad market and trying to think like, you know, 
a little bit further ahead because these turns can happen very quickly and people need time to do the work and blah, 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 blah. Okay, last question for you before I should over to Beatles um, is to what extent are the beer wars having any impact on advertising this year, good or bad? And then, and then second of all, how are you thinking about the political ad spending climate that's ahead in the next 12 months? Like, is that at all? Yeah. To things? Um, political is going to help local more than it's going to help national. Um, it's definitely going to help support growth. You know, it's never, it's not always a game changer. Like it's going to help broadcast media. I heart radio, for example, it's going to help. It's going to do a lot better because of that. Um, you know, that's going to be a boost to them. Um, <clears throat> and then, um, I'm sorry, your, your, the question before the political one was, um, beer wars. Oh, beer wars. I mean, look, it's in when, uh, they have to spend more in marketing to try to support the brand. Right. Like that's just a cat. It's a casualty, but then, you know, they have to figure it out, you know, um, it's uh, one component of a larger market, like beverage. Um, but like, you know, Coke is doing better. I speak with um, Pelosi quite, you know, enough where I kind of have an idea of like where he's at. And he's like, oh yeah, our seat, like our, I definitely like in my space, CPG companies are going to be spending more this year than last year. And um, CPG is like the largest category um, for you know, for definitely for like, I mean, for meta, but also for, you know, digital and CTV and things like Roku and stuff. So, um, you know, willing to take some pain in the near term, right? Because I think there's a lot of opportunity out there to kind of wait for the turn because I think it's coming, you know, in, uh, I mean, it's already come for like direct response, but, you know, something like Warner Brothers or something like a, uh, you know, a Roku, I, I think it's, you know, by by the time we're in Q4, I think it's going to be more evident, um, and then really kind of going into into next year is going to be the um, is going to be the play here, I think. But you know, we'll we'll see. Hi, Robert McGrody here, Director of Subscriber Development at Hedgeye. Join our entire research analyst team live before the market opens for deep dive investing analysis, our favorite stock ideas, and our risk manager in chief Keith McCullough's macro overlay. Our team of 40-plus equity analysts discuss key market developments, trends, and our high-conviction, long-and-short investing ideas. You will not get this granular level of insight anywhere else. A video replay, audio version, and analyst summary notes from the call are available shortly after each live show to ensure you don't miss anything. Go to hedgeye.com forward slash research to subscribe. And tune in live to the call weekdays at 7.45 a.m. Eastern. Enjoy the rest of this episode. Awesome. Um, pretty interesting. Uh, the data dependency is interesting. The flip is bad to good is interesting. And the trajectory obviously is very interesting. Felix, um, you're in a totally different world right now. You've got a government that's trying to make growth reaccelerate. So they're lowering interest rates and doing all kinds of things. Are you, are you still, it seems like from our conversation before, you seem like you're still a China bull. T- tell me about what makes you bullish on China right now. Tell me, tell me about some of the weaker, like to the. I know that there was some headlines. Maybe I didn't catch it correctly, but like you know, if there was weaker data, um, 
tell me about that. Tell me about the delta between kind of like what everybody else sees and what you see right now, because it seems pretty extreme. Yeah, I mean, extreme is the perfect word to characterize how everybody's thinking about China right now. You know, I if you look at my long, short position monitor, that's kind of how I feel about China. Uh, it's not... Uh, at, at the beginning of June, I was pretty much all long, very few short. Uh, now I'm still predominantly long, but I added a few short ideas ahead of earnings season just because earnings season probably... It's going to be another choppy one. Uh, we're, 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 you know, our macro team is is kind of negative on China Q3. So we're, so we're not quite there yet. I mean, on a major, I would say, long-term bullish pivot on China. But I would say we're getting pretty close. And the reason I say that is a couple of things. You know, the, if you look at the China Golden Dragon Index, the NASDAQ China Golden Dragon Index, which is one I look at, it's still up 23% since my capitulation call on June 1st. So that means there hasn't, even though there's been so much negativity on China, everybody avoiding China, we still haven't been going down. And the Polar Bureau earlier this week offered a lot of support, at least through words, or no restrictive words, if you will, if you look at the property market. Um, so they're trying to help, right? And them trying to help rather than to restrict the economy is always a good thing. So maybe no bad news is actually good news for the stocks. Um, and I also think it's, you know, it, it is a wrong picture to think that China is in a dumpster that just caught on fire and the fire just won't go out. I, I think there are also some wind shoots in the economy that very few people are talking about, um, which is why, you know, my my long ideas are kind of pivoted towards those areas, but they're trying. I mean, it's, it's what I'm trying to say is, you know, right now, cinema is so extreme on the, on the negative side. A lot of the, uh, uh, a lot of the fund managers want to pivot elsewhere in Asia Pacific, but I generally think, you know, with the government trying to generate more support, We'll see what they do on the stimulus side. I mean, that's what everybody's focused on. Uh, but at least they're they're you know changing slowly, changing some of the policies out there. That's gonna, if you want to, you know, for, for example, buy a home these days in China, it's, it's it's becoming easier now. So they're trying to get the consumer to spend. This is different from the U.S., in which particular parts of the consumer economy is very strong. Um, it's what I've heard when I, I have my meetings in, in Asia, but, uh, trying is the word, uh, I mean, uh, but generally, you know, I, I, I remain optimistic. So when you look at all, when you roll this all up and you're optimistic, what areas of the economy do you think have the most upside in the next I don't know, six to 12 months or whatever, whatever timeline you prefer, you know, is it construction? Is it online? Is it, you know, hardware? Is it finance? Is it education? Like housing, what consumer, what are the areas where you think, you know, what you're optimistic and people just don't see it and it's going to come. 
well, I've been pitching a lot on the on the on the tourism side, um, but 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 tourism also has been choppy uh, outside of China. I would say domestic travel is 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 more resilient than overseas travel, and that's mostly because of the visa restrictions and other factors at play, like hot weather and so to speak, um, making people rethink their decisions to travel outside. So I I you know. I generally am positive on tourism. Um, I'm also positive on education. I've talked about education many times just because people have to go to school, normal COVID uh, lockdowns and so forth. And then there's one new area I'm looking into where I think, at least right now, uh, people see some green shoots, but they're not overly exuberant on it. And you know, the last couple of months, despite consumer spend in China being weaker than expected, this new sector did phenomenally well. And I, I was surprised to myself. So I'm doing some research on that end. But, you know, as I explained earlier, I'm not there yet where I can say China, all of the boats are going to get lifted. I think it could come sooner than a lot of the pessimists out there, but we're not there yet. Um, I'm hoping... I'm hoping soon enough, but we have to see a recovery in the consumer first. That's to me top of mind. Everything else is is secondary. Hi, I'm Keith McCullough, and I wanted to introduce you to my favorite product at Hedgeye, the Macro Show. Why is it my favorite product? Well, it's my show. I do that every morning. If you want to get ready for the market day, you want to contextualize all the data, you want to make good decisions, then this is what you should be watching. It's a repeatable process that you can deliberately study measuring and mapping time series to time series of data. So it's not going headline to headline and getting whipped around. It's actually being so much more dispassionate about it and making good decisions that are data-driven. So we'd love to have you on our team. Come join us. Tune in weekdays at 9 a.m. Eastern and on demand anytime. Go to hedgeye.com slash research to subscribe. What is the stimulus stimulus that people are looking for? Like what level... Um, are people looking for that would catalyze like the next step? Like, what is that? What's the good level of stimulus? What's the bad? What's not enough? And all that kind of stuff. Yeah. So basically, what can you do to get consumer to spend again? That to me is the critical question. The other critical question is what can you do to stop youth unemployment from going up? Right. And that's more of talking to the private enterprises. This is why, you know, earlier last week, it was a big meeting. It was a big policy report basically saying we're going to support all the private enterprises and so forth. So that was a major positive step in terms of, oh, hey, you know what? We bombed you guys for two years with regulations and stuff. That led to enormous restructuring, which means layoffs. Okay, we can't do that anymore because all these college graduates don't have jobs to find because, you know, we punished all these private enterprises, which led to a lot of restructuring layoffs. So they kind of shut, the government kind of shut their uh, own foot, so to speak. And they're, now they're trying to reverse that, right? Because they're seeing the damage it's causing to the real economy. Um, so they're going to have to figure out what to do on that front. And to let the, particularly the internet giants feel more comfortable to rehire again, to grow again, to reinvest in that entrepreneurial spirit that that led China in a mega growth 
space for 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 a couple of decades. Um, that's what they have to show, and I think it, it comes through policy, it comes through tax breaks, it comes through uh, consumption stimulus, it comes through basically vouching for anybody t- to hire somebody these days, which is not easy to do um, uh, in a you know still a choppy macroeconomy. So the policymakers they have their hands full on this army. Uh, but they're they're trying. The world is trying. They're they're they know the the dire circumstance that that China is in, even though COVID is lifted and reopened, um, and China's reopened. So to me, that's a positive. That means they're not ignoring the issue. They're they're trying their best to to resolve the issue. Now the question is, can they do it? That's the big question, right? And um, so the market is speculating on this at the moment. It's too bad there's this trade war stupidity because with China's <laughs> massive amount of, of unemployment, it's a well-trained, well-educated, you know, uh, uh, labor class that foreign companies would have been excited to hire and take advantage of. And, um, you know, for example, Zoom was built uh, entirely with Chinese R&D in the beginning. Um, I know eventually that ran into some, they had some, um, controversy around that and they had to make some, some changes, but, um, but the company was able to scale very fast and very inexpensively, uh, to, to build like a really great product and kind of take over the world. Um, too bad for that. I, I, I hope you're right. I hope that, uh, the, the people will find jobs. That's probably the number one most important thing for driving the economy forward and, and fixing some of the things that um, potentially are holding China back. Actually, uh, I have a question for you, Amir, sure. on that topic. Are you sure. hearing from your, at least in the software space, um, semiconductor space, maybe? Uh, how's the how's the perception of going trying to do business in China? Or in I'm talking about from a hiring perspective. You know, are they trying to expand? into China if they haven't been, or if they're already in China, are they backing out of China, or are they still in China, but expanding? Are you hearing any chatter on that from your companies? I mean, Apple continues to be like an anomaly in the sense that full steam ahead. Um, But everybody else is sort of cautious that uh, worried about Revenue exposure, worried about supply chain exposure, um, worried about increasing uh, trade war issues and and having to debook revenues from China and not allowed to to ship there and sell there. So there's definitely more of the cautious side at play for most of the companies at this point. And I would say my guess would be that it would be hard to convince most of the technology universe to hire right now and build out um, uh, divisions and segments in China, I think, today. Uh, it would really have to be someone um, who has more more long-term comfort with that rather than like a Western company. Yeah. I mean, I hope that that perception changes, right? I mean, obviously, it's, it's a lot of politics behind it, but... Uh... If China does turn around in the second half of this year, 
um, maybe there is there will be a lot more interest um, in because to me it, it, politics is is politics, but at the end of the day, you know, you got to show the growth potential, right? So if if China's booming, um, everything's through the roof in terms of growth. A lot of multinational companies definitely would be excited, but right now it's, that's not really the case, right? So that's why maybe there's more hesitant um, in terms of business strategy here. Yeah, yeah, I think so. Um, all right, well, that wraps up our time today for Unscripted Equity Curiosity. It's been a good one. Um, great to hear from you, Felix. Great to learn from you, Andrew. Um, for both of you guys, I hope the rest of earnings season is smooth and successful. And for those listening, I hope that you've had a chance to listen and learn from some of the tea leaves on the macro front that some of us are thinking about and uh, tippy toes of the cycle. And kind of like as we go here through the already through the first month of the third quarter and see how the rest of the year looks. Thanks again. And uh, we'll see you next time on Unscripted Equity Curiosity. Don't forget to check out Hedgeye.com to get more actionable investing insights from our team of more than 40 research analysts. And check us out on Twitter at our handle, at Hedgeye. This presentation is informational only. None of the information contained herein constitutes an offer to sell or a solicitation of an offer to buy any security or investment vehicle, nor does it constitute investment recommendation or legal, tax, accounting, or investment advice by Hedgeye or any of its employees, officers, agents, or guests. This information is presented without regard for individual investment preferences or risk parameters and is general, non-tailored, non-specific information. This content is based on information from sources believed to be reliable. Hedge is not responsible for errors, inaccuracies, or omissions of information. The opinions and conclusions contained in this report are those of the individual expressing those opinions and conclusions and are intended solely for the use of Hedge subscribers and the authorized recipients of the content. All investments entail a certain degree of risk, and financial instrument prices can fluctuate based on several factors, including those not considered in the preparation of the content. Consult your financial professional before investing. The information contained herein is protected by United States and foreign copyright laws and is intended solely for the use of its authorized recipient. Access must be provided directly by Hedge Redistribution or republication is strictly prohibited. For more detail, please refer to the terms of service at hedgeye.com slash terms of service.